Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Say this use of judicial review thus subverts the liberty of government by the people overturning laws enacted by legislators, legislatures who are answerable to the electorate rather than a majority of the Supreme Court. Finally, he said, finally, for the purpose of my question, he said the adoption of such a loose, flexible, uncontrolled standard for holding laws unconstitutional, if ever it is finally achieved, will amount to a great unconstitutional shift of power to the courts, which I believe, Justice Black, that is, and am constrained to say will be bad for the courts and worse for the country. Judge Justice Jackson, why isn't substantive due process analysis just another form of judicial policymaking, which you've suggested policymaking is not in your lane, or and you strive to be apolitical, something I, I, I applaud. But why isn't substantive due process just another way for judges to hide their policymaking under the guise of interpreting the Constitution? Well, Senator, the justices have interpreted the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to include a substantive provision, the, the, um, the rights to due process, they have interpreted that to mean not just procedural rights relative to government action, but also the protection of certain uh, personal um, rights related to intimacy and autonomy. They include things like um, the, the right to rear one's children, um, I believe the right to travel, the right to marriage, um, interracial marriage, the right uh, to an abortion, the contraception. These Treating a... Well, if we're now going to bring abortion into it, that somehow that's codified in the Constitution through a very interesting reading of clauses. Holy cow! Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, son of a gun. That's actually happening live. It's day two of the SCOTUS confirmation hearing of Justice of Judge uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh my gosh. You mean if 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 you if you read into it enough, you can you can find within uh this clause or that clause a a, a right to abortion, and so therefore Roe v. Wade is 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 that what I'm supposed to take from it? Roe v. Wade is on the on the up and up? Oh, come now. That's not real. That can't be real. I, well, I, guys, I didn't know she was going to say it. I was listening to it live like like you are right there. And they're, they're still going. If it's not mentioned in the Constitution, where does the right of the court to substitute its views for that of the elected representatives of the people? Where does that come from? Well, the court has interpreted the 14th Amendment to include this component, um, the unenumerated right to substantive due process. And the court has said that um, that the kinds of things that qualify are implicit in the concept of order, ordered liberty, liberty, excuse me, 
or deeply rooted in our nation's history and tradition. Um, those are standards that identify a narrow set of activities. Well, Judge, Judge, the um, in the Oberfeld case, uh, Justice Roberts, in his dissent, noted that the court invalidated marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis for a human society for millennia. So that was the basis for the institution of marriage is the practice for millennia and the recognition that marriage was between a man and a woman. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing the merits or lack of merits of same-sex marriage. I believe the states and the, elect and the, and the voters can choose what they will, and that's their prerogative, and I think that's legitimate. But when the court overrules the decisions made by the people, as they did in 32 of the 35 states that decided to, to, uh, to, to uh, recognize only traditional marriage between a man and a woman, uh, that is an act of judicial policymaking, is it not? Senator, the Supreme Court has considered that to be an application of the substantive due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Absolutely judicial activism. Great question from Cornyn, son of a gun. I made this argument right here. He's talking about Obergefell, or Obergefell, I don't know how it's actually pronounced, about the idea of, of same-sex marriage being uh, lawful. I have no problem with two men, two women living their lives. I had a problem with the Supreme Court making this decision because they created a law or a right out of whole cloth. It doesn't exist. The idea that it's through the clause of the 14th Amendment, oh, this is going to get some play. If you're winning in the states, you keep on winning. Even if some states voted it down, you keep at it and you, you go about changing hearts and minds. You change culture. You change the laws in the states. You're good to go. You can't decide that a right exists in the Constitution when it doesn't exist. That's some good questioning, and I got to tell you, I don't think she handled that as well as she could have. Not by a long shot. But she's been getting asked a, a, lot, of, a lot of questions, and she got into the idea of her judicial philosophy. Now, Dick Durbin, uh, he is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and he is... Just a terrible, terrible loudmouth. I mean, a man most aptly named is is Dick Durbin. And he asked about um really her, her judicial temperament and the idea of what how does she go about um coming to the decisions uh, that she that she you know does. How how does that process work? Which of those who are looking for a label what your position is on judicial philosophy. Yes, thank you, um, Mr. Chairman. Over the course of my uh, almost decade on the bench, I have developed uh, a methodology that I use um, in order to ensure that I am ruling impartially and that I am adhering to the limits on my judi judicial authority. Uh, I am acutely aware 
that as a judge in our system, I have limited power and um, I am trying in every case to stay in my lane. And so what I do um, is I essentially follow three steps. The first step is when I get a case, I ensure that I am proceeding from a position of neutrality. Um, this means that you know you, you, you get a case and it's about something and it's submitted by certain parties. I am clearing my mind of any preconceived notions about how the case might come out. I'm setting aside any personal views. Uh, it's very important that judges rule without fear or favor. The second step is once I've um, cleared the decks, so to speak, in this way, um, I am able to receive all of the appropriate inputs for the case. Um, that is the party's arguments. They've written briefs. Um, sometimes we have a hearing. Sometimes we hear from other parties, amici in a case. And then there's the factual record. I am evaluating all of the facts from various perspectives. I think my experience, uh, all of the various experiences that I've had, really helps me uh, at this stage to see the perspectives of all of the parties and to understand their arguments. I think that the utilization of experiences harkens back to Sonia Sotomayor when we were told that the richness of her Latina heritage and those experiences would make her a qualified uh, justice. Uh, I, I would put forth to you that she is not a qualified justice. She has never been a qualified uh, justice. She is a voter. She does not adjudicate. Being a justice does not matter at all. Now, there have been some other things that were brought up to her, specifically uh, how people like uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat Rhode Island, want to talk about how dark money is utilized to get members of the political right on the court, and she was asked about it. During his opening statement yesterday, one member of this committee suggested that the Supreme Court has been bought by dark money groups. Do you agree that the Supreme Court has been bought by dark money groups? Senator, I don't have any reason to believe um, that that's the case. I have only the highest esteem for the members of the Supreme Court, whom I, I hope to be able to join if I'm confirmed, um, and for all of the members of the judiciary. I mean, it's, I don't know, what else is she supposed to say? Like, there's a question. I don't mind if, if you punch Sheldon Whitehouse in the face. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'd actually pay money to see Chuck Grassley at the age of 872 years old punch Sheldon Whitehouse in the face. I'd pay money to see it. But I don't know how. what other answer should be... Um, would even come come close? What other answer could she possibly give? And then, of course, she was act, asked about court packing. I thought this was pretty interesting, too. Another issue which has come up, to my surprise, and I've spoken to my Republican colleagues about their fascination with it, is the notion of the composition of the Supreme Court, which euphemistically is referred to as court packing. 
I have said on the floor, and I will repeat here, uh, there is exactly one living senator who has effectively changed the size of the Supreme Court. That was the Republican leader, Senator McConnell, who shrank the court to eight seats for nearly a year in 2016 when he blocked President Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland. Now, that question on court packing was posed to Amy Coney Barrett, justice in the court, when she appeared before this committee. She was asked about it. She said, and I quote, could not opine on it. And on many other policy issues. Ah, of course it did. Quote, Cut out on me right there. Let me see if I can let me see if I can get this back for you. Because it was it was it was just about to get interesting. Quote, I will not express a view on a matter of public policy, especially one that is politically controversial, because that is inconsistent with the judicial role. I do believe we should have rules and traditions and precedents, but we shouldn't have a separate set of rules for Republican nominees and Democratic nominees. So, Judge Jackson, if a senator were to ask you today about proposals about changing the current size of the Supreme Court, what would your response be? Senator, I agree with Justice Barrett in her um, her response to that question when she was asked before this committee. Again, my um, North Star is the consideration of the proper role of a judge in our constitutional scheme. And in my view, judges should not be speaking in to political issues um, and certainly not a nominee for uh, a position on the Supreme Court. So I agree with, with Justice Barrett. But where are you on packing the Supreme Court? Again, another weird question to ask the nominee because what else are they going to say? It's an easy one for them to deflect from, and they look good while they do it. I don't. I, it, we have from a Republican and from a Democrat questions that I don't believe provided any value whatsoever. But it was that first play from uh, Senator Cornyn about what the Constitution says and doesn't say. I think that's the the telltale, and that was not a great answer. I thought from uh, uh, Judge Brown Jackson. We're going to play with the idea that that the Constitution is a living Constitution. The minute you go down that road, it's over. Anybody who supports a living Constitution absolutely, positively cannot be on the Supreme Court, could not be a judge, shouldn't be allowed in your house. We'll have more on this. I mean, I, I, I want it's happening, right? And it's the Supreme Court and affects all of us. So I want to make sure I share it. But we're not going to have a whole day on it. I've got some other things uh, to get to in it. I also have the latest going on in Ukraine. And most importantly, the numbers you can't trust cannot be trusted. That's all coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. So two days ago, Twitter suspends the account of the Babylon Bee for saying uh, Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. Rachel Levine, uh, who works uh, in the federal government in uh, under what was it? Health, Health and Human Services, um, I believe that's it, uh, is a man 
who makes claim that he's a woman, lives his life as a woman, but he's a man. And then USA Today put Rachel Levine on a list of women of the year, but is a man. Just saying it exactly the way it is, not being rude, not being disparaging, just facts. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And for this, the Babylon Bee, uh, they were kicked off of, of Twitter. They, were, they had their account locked. Only if you delete it will you be allowed back. And Twitter and uh, Babylon Bee is like, we're not doing that. We're absolutely positively not doing that. The uh, editor-in-chief of the Babylon Bee responds to this by saying, maybe they'll let us back into our Babylon Bee Twitter account if we throw a few thousand Uyghurs in a concentration camp. What he's referring to there is the kind of people who are still allowed on Twitter. Ayatollah Khomeini is on Twitter. One of his tweets why should and how can Israel be eliminated? Ayatollah Khomeini answer to nine key questions. On Twitter, the Ayatollah can call for the elimination of Israel. But the editor-in-chief of the Babylon Bee points this out by saying, maybe we can be on, on Twitter if we throw a few thousand Uyghurs in a concentration camp talking about how the Chinese government is still allowed on Twitter, and they are locked out. You can engage in a genocide and be on Twitter. If you talk about it, you're not allowed on Twitter. If you think Twitter is okay or decent, you're out of your mind. What you, the amount that you hate, the American ethos, the American ideal, freedom of speech, the amount that you hate it is overwhelming. And be clear that Twitter's the enemy. Twitter is made up of bad people who do bad things. They're bad, bad, bad people. Hateful, bigoted people. Just say the words. Facts are facts, they cannot be changed. Meanwhile, the nomination of Katanji Jackson-Brown continues. Some interesting things that have come up about her and what could be described as red flags. Like, for example, her belief in some founding texts of critical race theory as a personal touchstone. We'll get into it. I'm Tony Katz. And they've even got new ones that are less active, free to learn action and free to learn. Guys, these are eight organizations that are essentially one organization. If I were to explain to you what's going on right now in the confirmation hearing of Katanji Brown Jackson, I, I, I you wouldn't believe you would not believe me. If you want to know why people hate government officials, hate politicians, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, Democrat, is letting you know why. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. It was during the break, right? During the break, so I'm watching the confirmation hearing. It wasn't my my plan to do confirmation hearing all, all, all day. There are a lot of things to get to. I want to give you some updates on Russia and specifically uh, how difficult it is to believe any numbers. And my problem with not being able to get real data out of Ukraine, it's driving me crazy. 
But then Sheldon Whitehouse starts asking questions of the nominee, Katanji Jackson Brown, Katanji Brown Jackson, <clears throat> and he's doing this. To control the nomination process to the court. And it's no small amount of money. In the original Washington Post research, they pegged it at $250 million. Further research led to testimony in my court subcommittee that um, the number was actually $400 million. And we have a recent report that we haven't fact-checked that the number is actually even higher than that. So I may... He's discussing the fact that dark money, right? We don't know where the money comes from. You know, we don't know who's giving the money. Like the people who donated to Barack Obama's campaign. Oh, have we forgotten this? I know a little something about the credit card industry. My family has been in the credit card processing business for, has my father been in this for two decades now? And when we, or I used to do this before I got into radio, and I still consult on some projects here and there and help with some things. And, you know, as they're getting older, I'm, I'm doing more and more. You, you, you got to help. You got to do your job. <laughs> you you, you got to throw in. Um, so, so one of the things we saw that when, uh, back, so you got to think of it back in the day when Barack Obama's running, they're taking the online donations, they're, they're raking in the cash. But you know what they're not doing? They're not doing address checks or they're not doing uh, what, what we consider the security code, the CVV2. They weren't doing any of that stuff. They were just taking in, uh, they had set the, 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 uh, the online taking of the dollars, right? This is the gateways to like the lowest level of, of fraud protection possible. And we looked at that and we're like, if, if, if one of our clients did that, uh, they wouldn't be allowed to process. You weren't getting enough information. So who knows who was donating to Barack Obama back in the day? And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that dark money isn't actually a thing. Of course it's a thing. We could discuss that it is an issue and that it is a problem. But this is right now happening. See, hear this? Back to our business, Judge Jackson. Um... You have served as a um, trial court judge? That's right. He just did a six-minute soliloquy on dark money during the hearing of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. That's how he just spent his time. This is crazy and criminally insane. Insane. Just absolute madness. It's why people hate politicians. They hate them. Because Sheldon Whitehouse is the guy who got picked last for kickball every time and is now taking his revenge on everybody who didn't listen to him. I've got this captive audience. I'm going to show you how smart I am. I'm a senator. do 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 and engages this garbage, this inappropriate, anti-intellectual garbage. And it's, it's only the right that takes the dark money. It's, it's only the, whoo, that is special. Let me take it over to Ukraine real quick because there's a couple things going on. And first was this uh, reporting from Jennifer Griffin over at Fox News Channel, which I absolutely believe to be true, that Russia 
utilize more than one hypersonic missile Saturday in bombings in Ukraine. And before you ask, uh, before we, 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 you know, say, well, why, why is that surprising? They have hypersonic missiles. They showed us that they have hypersonic missiles. Of course, they're going to use them. You got to ask yourself, why in the world would Russia need to utilize hypersonic missiles? Why in the world would they need to utilize it against a, 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 a um, people that they're already shelling into uh, into the Stone Age. What if the answer is because they're running out of equipment? That is an argument that's being made right now, that they're running out of equipment. The Russians are in Ukraine. Now, there are a series of back and forths here. A series of back and forths. And part of the problem is is that it's very difficult to get information. And I'm having a hard time trusting anything. I've got Major Mike Lyons, who we have on regularly, who believes that we are now entering a guerrilla war phase of this Russian invasion. The Russians have done an absolutely horrific job. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the materials. They don't have the common sense. uh, uh, They don't have the ability to take the country. But they do have artillery fire, and they can just keep destroying things, and they're going to do that. But it's going to be now a guerrilla war that no one can win. NATO is engaged the idea that no one can win this war, which could be a little bit more about public relations and trying to get Russia to stop. Then there are people who will tell you that Russia is going to take the country. It seems clear that Russia is stagnated in multiple spots, but they absolutely destroyed Maripol, which is to the south and the east there on the Sea of Azov. But we're not getting still. They've bombed two theaters where women and children were sheltering. We have no idea how many dead. How do we not know? How do we not know? How is it possible? How does it make any sense? Why can't we get a number? Meanwhile, I can't get a number on how many dead soldiers. I cannot get the number, guys. I have gone to every source I possibly can. And I shared with you last week, or maybe it was the week before, that there was this outfit saying that there were 11,000 dead Russian soldiers in 11 days. And I said, nah. No, 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 no. 11,000 soldiers in 11 days. I know the Russians aren't doing great, but holy crap. That's, that's brutal. I had a hard time with that number. And then I came across this. It's a story that there is a, a pro-Kremlin tabloid that actually printed the number of dead Russian soldiers. 9,861 died in Ukraine. 16,153 were injured. What's interesting about this, with the screenshot that accompanies it, what is interesting about this is that it was very, very quickly deleted after it was posted. The story disappeared. And because the story was disappeared, I'm willing to believe the story true. So understand that the number that I'm sharing here relies on a pro-Kremlin tabloid 
And one would wonder why they would print the number of dead to begin with. Someone decided that uh, it was going to uh, garner more support for, for, for the war effort? Maybe, but that's a, that'd be a weird take. 9,861 in three weeks. That is a number. Uh, I, I, tried to, I, I took it and I tried to apply it to the U.S. What if you had uh, a, a three-week military conflict? with a nation that you were supposed to overtake in seconds. And you came back, and, and, and then you had David Meir on ABC informing America that we had 10,000 dead American soldiers. That would be it. It would be over. The, the action, the war, whatever you want to call it, would be over. It'd be done in a second. I wonder how that plays in Russia. Then again, I wonder how many people were able to get that information in Russia. I wonder how many places that could possibly be shared. I wonder what it is that they know that we don't know they know. But getting data out of Ukraine has been such a problem. Such, I mean, a real, real problem. And, and I, I, I'm following everything, everywhere, talking to everyone. I, I'm, not, I'm not confident. This is the first number I've seen where I'm like, I get how that can be legit. Now, it's possible that's all misinformation as well. This is the Russians, after all. Make the Ukrainians feel that they're doing better than they are, false sense of security, whatever it is you want, to, what you want it to be. I wouldn't quite know how to spin that. I think this number is legit. I think it's also legitimate that there is something wrong with Vladimir Putin. This was President Trump on with Stuart Varney on Fox Business. I'll tell you something. I got along with him. And uh, look, I got along with him loving this country. And he, he loves his country, okay? But he's a different person than he was. He seems to be different. Is he sane? Is he solid mentally? It just doesn't seem to be the same person I was dealing with. I, you know, we had a, a decent relationship. We, it was very hard because of the Russia hoax, you know. And, and I told him, I said, you know, it's very hard for me to do anything for Russia and for you to do anything because these horrible, horrible people that are you know, perpetrating this hoax, the Russia, 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 collusion nonsense. It, millions of phone calls. I never made one to Russia. Think of it. Millions of calls. They went through the phone records. Millions of calls, not one call to Russia. Well, it was a total hoax. It's come out. And the Durham report, I look forward to seeing more and more of it. I wish it could go faster. Okay. But uh, I look forward to seeing more and more of it. But can I, I will say this. We did well with Russia. They didn't attack any any countries under us. I'm the only one where that didn't happen. And with Bush, they took Georgia, and they took Crimea with Biden and Obama. And now he said, the hell with it. Let's take the whole thing. But even uh, Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd on NBC said the other day when he was interviewing, I think it was Blinken, he said, how come this never happened under Trump? Well, we don't have to go into any more of that ego stroke. Is Putin a different guy? We, we've heard these stories. Does he have cancer? Does he have Parkinson's? Does he have long haul? Uh, COVID, is he the same uh, cat? I'm willing to believe that he is impaired. 
But I'm also willing to believe that all of this is so emotional for him. And he wants the victory. He wants to reunite Russia. He wants its glory. He takes this personally. And things not going the way he thought they would, he takes that even more personally, which makes someone even more emotional. I don't think Russia stops. I am not so much a believer in the, in the peace talks that I would love to be proven wrong on that. The problem is I can't get good data. So 9,861 soldiers, we'll call it 10,000. It's the best number I've got. And if so, the Ukrainians are actually doing a hell of a job in keeping the Russians at bay. And we should support them with the weaponry, not with the troops. I'm Tony Katz. That the Republican Party, or someone being a, a, a supporter of the Republican Party, is holding voter registration drives at gas stations. I'm sorry, that's genius. That's genius, and I'm only sorry I had not considered such a thing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, great to be with you. The RNC launching a voter registration drive at gas stations. There was one in Arizona uh, that took place. They're going to be doing these all across the country. Smart, smart, smart stuff. Of course, we will be told by the political left that this is cheap politics, that this is just awful, uh, that this is, uh, you know, you can't trust these registrations. It's voter fraud. Who knows what they're going to say? It's smart. It is a super smart idea. It's so smart. There's no way at all that Republicans actually thought of it. It's too smart for Republicans. Meanwhile, Brent crude is at 114.50 a barrel. West Texas is at 110. That's where it's at right now. Either the Dow was up earlier, continues to be there, up 250. The Nasdaq up 213. But the oil prices haven't necessarily gone down. They're down from the the uh, the high there that was like 139. But it went down to 100, now it's back to 115 and then moves itself up to 120. And Just so we, we, all, we all understand each other. It, is, it isn't like it's just disappeared. Nike says they're seeing signs of recovery in China. I thought China was engaged in a whole bunch of lockdowns. They had another variant coming through. With that variant, oh, they... They're locking down millions of people. Remember, that's who they are. I think the story here is that Nike is going to continue operating in China. There's an interesting story about how some people are upset with uh, Coke Industries. And I took it, paid attention to the story because uh, the, the, the Coke brothers, they're not, one of the brothers has since passed away. But Coke Industries and is connected to Americans for Prosperity. And full disclosure, I do work with Americans for Prosperity. And I get paid. Uh, for for that work. I never lie. But they're keeping some glass companies they have um, operating in Russia. They're not shutting things down. And they're getting a lot of heat for this. They're getting a tremendous amount of heat for this. Nike's not going to get any heat for operating in China. My argument 
is only the following. I think you, it's okay to ask a company, why are you still operating there? Why this? Why that? I th- they are not immune from our questions. But I do think that there is a, a real question, too. We have Nike working in China while they are imprisoning Uyghur Muslims and throwing them into labor camps. We have this happening. Why isn't anybody all over Nike's butt? That's the question. Uh, more on this, more on the confirmation hearing. Uh, some of the latest going on uh, around town and, well, even more. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.